Welcome to Restored for Life with Pastor Ben Harris, the senior pastor of Restored Community Church, where God's perfect word restores imperfect people. Here's today's message from Pastor Ben. Turn with me in your Bibles. We're going to be in the book of Matthew chapter 2 this morning. We are winding up a series that I've called The People of Christmas, and we've looked at some of the main players. We began with looking at Mary, of course, and then we uh, last week we went to the shepherds, and this week we are going to look at the wise men and see what role they played in history and in the story. Popular tradition tells us that the wise men showed up with three gifts for the newborn babe, uh, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. In all likelihood, they arrived sometime later, though. Tradition tells us that if wise women would have shown up that night, they would have cleaned the stable, baked a casserole, helped to deliver a baby, and and, uh, brought something they could actually use, like diapers and uh, formula. But (laughs) hey, at least they did better than the fourth wise men. Tradition also has that there was a fourth wise man that was thrown out of the stables for handing Joseph a uh, fruitcake. So (laughs) three out of four aren't bad. The story of the wise men, or some translations call them magi, depending on your translation today, is a curious story that likely doesn't coordinate, uh, chronologically at least, with popular opinion of our day. But whether they were there that night or arrived much later on isn't the point of the story. The point is that these wise men sought the newborn Savior, King. In fact, they pursued him from some 900 miles across dangerous and unforgiving territory bound from central Iraq, the Baghdad area, bound for Jerusalem. This journey would have taken them somewhere around four months to complete. Let's read now Matthew 2 to get our bearings here before we continue our study. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Take note now that these wise men were likely astrologists who were excited to see Jesus and greatly desired to worship him. Verse 3, But when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Now, while the wise men were thrilled about the opportunity to see this long-awaited Savior King, uh, Herod was not. He didn't want to lose his power or influence that he had gained over his lifetime, and actually his father was a Herod as well. Um, So he didn't want to lose all this. He's not interested in a Savior coming to save Jerusalem. He's happy running the show himself, and so he's not happy about this. By the way, every man, woman, and, and child will make a decision of what to do with Jesus. You will make a decision. Perhaps you have. Maybe you've chosen him like the wise men to worship him and to make him your savior. But everyone has a decision to make that is momentous and will have a momentous impact on each one of us throughout eternity. Two very different responses to Jesus here. Herod was a king who murdered some of his own family. He murdered several of his, of his kids because he was afraid they were going to take the throne before he wanted them to. So he had them executed. 
he, um, he killed his wife by drowning her because she started to uh, get a little too popular as well. This guy was not a nice guy. So this news of someone who would replace him as a ruler didn't sit well with him. In fact, that's why we read uh, the line here that uh, when Herod heard this, that he was troubled. But not only Herod, it says all Jerusalem was troubled. Why? Because they knew how Herod would react to this kind of news, and they were nervous about this. Verse 4, and when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. He didn't know this. Now, Herod here, Herod the Great, as he was known, was, uh, ha- was only half Jewish. And so he didn't really practice the Jewish uh, religion. He didn't know Scripture very well. So he had to call his scribes together to find out where Messiah would be born Verse 5, so they said to him, and they quote scripture, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. When Herod, then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. He wanted to know, when did you see this star? See, he was, Herod was already calculating the age of Jesus here because he was going to try to find out who, how old he would be. And of course, he committed what history calls the massacre of the innocents when he killed every child two years and down. When he did the calculation, the child would be no more than two. So let's kill all the two-year-olds on down to the newborns. We'll get rid of this Messiah. Verse 8, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the young child. Now, this Greek terminology for the word child here um, is the Greek terminology that puts Jesus' age uh, anywhere from a toddler to about five years old, somewhere in between there. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. We know what Herod was planning. Verse 9, when, the, when they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they, heard, uh, or when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It's likely that they used the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh to, uh, to trade. This is how they survived. They had very valuable gifts. But then Jesus, at the age of 33 years of age, on a hill called Golgotha, Jesus himself would offer up the greatest gift that mankind would ever know, the gift of himself, the gift of a second chance, the gift to be restored back to God. So we have two groups of people here, both responding to the news of Jesus in two very different ways. While Herod and his religious elites rejected the Messiah, the wise men worshiped and adored him so today I want to look at four lessons from the wise men in Christmas. 
Lesson number one here, God draws unlikely people to himself. God draws unlikely people to himself. And I'm glad he does because I'm unlikely. I don't fit the mold. I'm glad God draws all people to himself. Verse A, our letter A, God's love is for everyone. His love is for everyone. God drew these wise men who were not Jewish, of of Jewish nationality or, or lineage, to come and worship him. You see, the Jews believed that the Messiah was exclusively going to come for them. The Messiah would be a Jewish Messiah, and he would reign in Israel there. In fact, he would come as a mighty warrior. He would come and he would lead an army against Rome, and he would kick Rome out of Israel finally after hundreds and hundreds of years of Roman oppression. This is what they were expecting. This is what they were looking for. That's why they missed Jesus largely. But Jesus didn't come for political purposes. He came for something infinitely more important. He came to set free the captive souls of men and women, souls that were bound up by sin and far from God. Mankind would have the opportunity to be set free. Jesus died on the cross, paying our debt and restoring us to our Heavenly Father. Jesus is for all people. No matter what your past is, no matter what your sin might be, no matter what you think of yourself, God loves you so much that he gave his one and only son for you that you might be brought back into his love, into his forever family, into relationship with him, relationship restored forever. God will always, God loves you and he will always love you. I find nowhere in scripture where it says God stops loving people. He doesn't. God loves you today, and whether you knew that or not before you came in here, that's the truth. So how do you become a child of God? It's this simple. You believe and receive his forgiveness, and then you become a child of God. Scripture tells us we must believe in him first. We must believe that God is and that he sent his son. We must believe that his son died on a cross for our sin. We must believe that we're sinners in need of a Savior. We, need, we have to do that. We need to believe. And then we need to receive because believe plus receive equals become. So what, how do we receive that? Well, we pray to God. We look up to God and we cry out to him and say, I'm a sinner. I want to receive your grace and mercy that Jesus made available on the cross. You can do that at home right now, as a matter of fact. I know that some of you are in the hospital because you've sent us emails. We're praying for you. But wherever you are, you could be behind a computer screen. You could be watching this wherever. You could be on the radio right now because the message is going out over the radio. So you could be driving somewhere. I want to tell you this, that God loves you. He always has. He sent his son for you just in order that he would die for your sin so that you could be back into relationship with him. He did this for you. Believe plus receive equals become. So these wise men were not only astronomers, they were worshipers of the stars and likely practiced magic, something that God forbade his own people to do for obvious reasons. So why would God call these men to travel 900 miles to come meet his son? Because God offers everyone a new life that's only found through his son, Jesus Christ. There's no sin that he won't forgive. There's no person that's gone beyond the reach of his grace. And there's no one beyond the reach of his love. 
And today, if you doubt that God could forgive you, uh, would ever love you, or make your life better than you can ever imagine, let me tell you, based on the authority of the Word of God, He will do that and much more than you can even imagine at this moment. He'll give you hope in your worst darkness. He'll give you a purpose and a reason for living, a fresh start and a new beginning. And I'll tell you, it's not just once, but every morning. His mercies are new every morning. When I get up, I need a fresh start. I need a new beginning. I want to start the day with him. So God's love is for everyone. And the letter B, God's love is relentless. God's love is relentless. God's love reached clear across the desert wilderness some 900 miles away to reach these men, these wise men. I can't possibly know every person situation here in this room, or uh, maybe you're out in one of the uh, satellite areas here, but I know this, it's not by chance that you're hearing this message right now, it's not by chance that you're hearing about the gift and the offering of salvation, this message is a message of grace today, God's love is going out to you for a purpose, he wants you to come to him, it's not by accident, God's love is relentless, In fact, it relentlessly pursues us. I would only encourage you to stop running and surrender to the only one that truly loves you and can give you everything that you're designed to want and need. And I can tell you that along with the world, I tried to put other things in this vacuum, but it didn't work because I was designed for something more than what the world can offer, and so were you. If you're already a Christ follower, who do you know that isn't? a Christian, that person that you think about and go, they'll never come to Christ. They'll never get right with God. Remember this, God continues to love them and is still working on them. He wants to bring them to salvation and he wants us, he wants us to help in the process. I think of my mother who prayed for me for many decades that I would come to Christ, that I would yield my life to him. I'm so glad she didn't give up on me. I'm so glad that she prayed through tears and through pain watching the life I lived. And I'm so glad that she got to see me come to Christ what a, before she went home. And what, what a blessing that is. Don't ever give up on someone that you think could never come to Christ because God's love is relentless and it's relentlessly pursuing them. It's the Holy Spirit's job to, to call them to salvation. It's our job to make sure that they meet the Holy Spirit that we put them together, that we show them the love of Christ, that we show them what it looks like to have a relationship with God. And while they're still drawing breath here on earth, there is still hope for them. Pray for that person and then show them the love of God. Four lessons from the wise men of Christmas. Letter, uh, uh, lesson one, God draws unlikely people to himself. And here's lesson number two, wise men still seek him. The wise men began seeking God when, they, uh, when God revealed the star to, to them, which was really an invitation for them to come and see Jesus right where they lived in Babylonia. In Matthew 7, 7 and 8, Jesus tells us, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks It will be opened. When you receive God's invitation of forgiveness and restoration, don't sit, just sit back down. 
get up and begin the journey of faith that comes from time pursuing the knowledge and wisdom found in the Bible. Begin to read. People ask me, okay, I just became a Christian. What should I do now? Get a good Bible. In fact, if you if you don't have a Bible today, we'll give you one. If you pray to receive Christ today, we'll give you one. We'll also give you some materials to help you follow up and take those first steps. But you want to be in the Word. You want to know the lover of your soul. What is he saying to me? What promises has he made me? we got to know what the lover of our souls has promised and told us, who he is, what he wants to do for us. So start with reading the Bible, and then, and then begin to pray a prayer life. Have a prayer life with him. Dig deeper with him every day, and you'll grow more and more in love with him. Pursue his truth and watch your life become everything you'd hoped it become and more in ways that you can't even imagine right now. Come to church uh, every Sunday. You know, this is the church, by the way. The church is in the walls. We're not going to build a church out on the front field. Now, those, are, those are nails and, and you know, two-by-fours and drywall. The church is us. It's the, it's the body of believers. I'm looking into the church's eyes right now. So come together as the church on Sunday mornings like you're doing right now. But then also come during the week because there's other ways to dig deeper. The women's Bible study, the men's Bible study, they're starting back up in just a matter of, of a few weeks here. So come and, and, and just put down roots even deeper into God's Word and know it better. Don't come to sit sour and soak. Some of you just woke up. Come to serve. Because you were designed, God created us to serve one another and to serve Him by doing that. Don't, don't ever stop growing. And if you have, get back up today. Confess your mistake to God and then start to grow again. Start to read the Word again. Start to get involved in your faith and grow it and watch what happens. Four lessons from the wise men of Christmas. Lesson number one, God draws unlikely people to Himself. Thank God. Lesson number two, wise men still seek him. And lesson number three, wise men still offer gifts. What gift do we see the wise men giving first here? Maybe not what you would think. The first gift they offer is the gift of worship. We need to be worshipers just like them. Once the wise men reached Jesus, it says the first thing they did was worship him. Just like the shepherds who we looked at last week, they'd already visited Jesus and they worshiped him. And as scripture tells us, they left singing songs of praise. They worshiped. It says of the wise men in verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. Why? Because the star must have disappeared. They must have gotten their bearings when they were in Babylon and known where he was going to be born. And then it, 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 God must have turned it off, probably to protect where Jesus was. So they get to Jerusalem, and Herod, and Herod finds out, oh, it's in Bethlehem. So they, he sends them, yeah, go off to Bethlehem, and then let me know exactly where he is. And so off they go towards Bethlehem, and apparently God turned the star back on because they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. Why? Because now the star, Bethlehem, from Jerusalem is a five-mile walk. That's easy. They're almost home. They're almost there. They get excited and they rejoice. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, 
And what did they do? They fell down and worshiped him. Listen, there's a danger that we who follow Christ should be aware of, the danger of becoming complacent in our worship, the, the, the danger of being too laissez-faire when we go to worship the Lord. And I'm not talking just here. I'm talking in our everyday life. Sometimes I think we forget who we are worshiping. We need to remind ourselves we're going to come and we're going to worship our Father that did this for us. When we stop and consider what he's done for us, our gift of praise and worship must be nothing less than everything we are and everything we have to give in that moment. The wise men offered Jesus first gold. Gold was far more valuable back then than it is today even. Um, it signifies both divinity as well as royalty. And, and Jesus is God, so he's divinity in the flesh, as well as Lord of Lord and King of Kings, so he's royalty as well. And so the, it, it would be fitting to bring him gold. Next, we read of frankincense. It was the aroma of priests and holy to the Lord, holy acceptable to God. Jesus was and is the priest of all priests. In fact, he's the king priests. He's coming back, my friends, as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. He's the priest of all priests, and he's going to sit on David's throne in Jerusalem one day. And so this was an aroma that they would send up to the Lord. Exodus 30, 34, and 35 records this, and the Lord said to Moses, take sweet spices and pure frankincense, and with these sweet spices there shall be equal amounts of each. You shall make of these an incense. So when they went to worship the Lord, can you imagine the smell coming from the temple? That smell would remind them, we're here to worship God. It was the aroma of the priests. And then myrrh, finally. This incense was used primarily to embalm bodies in preparation for burial. It was a picture of what would happen just 33 years later when Jesus' body was embalmed with myrrh and other sweet spices. Myrrh signifies that Jesus, our Savior, was born to die to take away the sin of the world. It was also sometimes mingled with wine to form a drink such as the one given to our Savior at crucifixion. Myrrh symbolizes bitterness, suffering, and affliction. Jesus would grow up to suffer greatly as a man and would pay the ultimate price when he gave his own life on the cross. In fact, Jesus would make the, the statement, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down. See, Jesus could have called 10,000 angels. and He wasn't afraid of, uh, of, these, of these people that were about to arrest him and put him on trial and put him on a cross and all the other horrible things that he wanted. He laid his life down. He allowed that to happen. He went willingly because it gave him great joy to know that after that, beyond the pain, there was going to be redemption for his father's children. And finally, lesson four, wise men still obey God's word. Verse 12, then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. 
We must continue to remain obedient to His Word. If we live in His Word, we'll know what His will for our life is. It may not be in a dream that He reveals things, but God still speaks to us in other ways, such as Scripture, through prayer, through circumstances, and through wise counselors. But you can know God's will by those four things. You pray, or you read His Word. That's primary. God will never tell you to do something that goes against His Word. Number two, you need to be in prayer. Number three, He'll work through circumstances to make things happen in your life that you could have made. And then number four, go to godly mentors in your life, people that you trust, and ask them to pray. And if they're seeing the same thing that God's calling you to do, that's how you know His will. Who do you identify with today in the story? Are you the one far away from God that is hearing the calling to come and seek and take a look? Remember, God seeks you no matter where you come from, no matter what you've done. You can never go beyond the reach of of His grace. You can't. As long as you have breath in your lungs, you can still turn and come to Him. He's pursuing you, even now. Put your trust in him this morning. Believe in him. Receive him and the work he did on the cross. And then become a child of God. You can do that this morning. I tell people all the time, it is too dangerous to leave this room without having a relationship with Jesus Christ. None of us know what's going to happen in the next hour, much less you know the next days and weeks that go ahead. I would not want to leave this room if I didn't know where I was going to go if God took me off this planet. Not only that, we oftentimes think of heaven, but God wants a relationship with you now so that you can become all that he's made you, the purpose he's given you for your life. You want to live this purpose now. It begins now. The birth of Jesus set into motion the greatest rescue mission that mankind will ever know. We've been rescued, been offered rescue. Will you take it this morning? Restored for Life is a radio ministry brought to you by Restored Community Church. Visit RestoredCommunityChurch.org to learn more about Pastor Ben Harris and for service times. Join Pastor Ben next time as we set out on a journey to discover the authentic life as Christ followers through obedience to His Word.